Welcome to the SSI Orbit Podcast, a forum for conversations that explore the ever-growing ecosystems of self-sovereign identity. And I'm your host, Matsur Gnode. So on the previous podcast that we did together, Riley, you made a comment that I was going back to listen to it just because it felt like after been over a year i think since since we've done that but just felt like a good moment to to continue upon that conversation which we talked a lot about adoption of self-sovereign identity or decentralized identity at that time and one of the comments you had made on that podcast is you've never talked to anyone in your life who has questioned the value of ssi and the question is always how do you get to that point do you still feel like that statement is true today and do you feel like we've pushed the adoption cycle a bit further since when we last spoke I think that that statement is true if by never talked to anyone in my life, you mean never talked to anyone normal in my life or something, you know, like, like I, I I look at people like you and I, and I don't think of us as like normal per se, because we, we care a lot about all the details of how SSI is implemented. And, you know, we, we are very deep in the space, I guess we are, we are identity people. And I think that there, um, in the last couple of years, there have been some additional kind of um, perspectives that are really helpful talking about some of the potential risks of self-sovereign identity. I think a lot of those risks can be mitigated and, and, and some of them may, may not, you know, may, I don't want to say unfounded, but maybe, uh, overblown, but but regardless, you know, I think in general the 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 point still stands, which is that as I talk to people in you know business, as I talk to regular everyday consumers or whatever, yeah, that that point very much still still stands. As far as adoption is concerned, I definitely yeah we we we've definitely pushed the the adoption cycle forward a little bit, right? I mean, I, I'm 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 sort of impatient, so I am always wishing that it would. Would go faster. I'm always asking the question: How can we, you know, how how could we, what what could we do to help more people obtain a digital wallet and help more people get access to the things they need easier, safer, etc. So yeah, I'm always I'm always wishing for more, but we've definitely made a lot of progress since we last spoke. One of the promising things I thought recently, just from the experience at the last uh, IAW not too long ago, was that there's a lot of the conversation, I've mentioned this a few times, but a lot of the conversation seems to be moving beyond technology, beyond the trust triangle, and really talking about governance and talking about how do I trust certain things, just moving beyond that simple credential exchange or just being able to show a credential go from, from point A to point B. Do you see these things or other things as good signs that, hey, there's there's much more than just showing, just showing a demo of a credential moving around and showing interoperability and that makes us all happy? For sure. I think I kind of have two perspectives here. The first one is I actually think that the trust triangle is not complete in the sense that I don't think you can just have a trust triangle and have it work in the real world. And so what I mean by trust triangle, you know, obviously is issuer gives a credential to a holder. The holder presents it to a verifier. The verifier checks the cryptography to confirm that the credential is valid and and came from the right issuer. The challenge is in the real world, verifiers will not keep lists of the you know hundreds, thousands, or you know even hundreds of thousands in some cases of issuers that they want to trust. Right? I think the trust triangle is a great proof of concept. But in reality, I think every case where this this happens in the real world, you'll need a fourth 
kind of conceptually at least a fourth a fourth um, party or 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 role in that ecosystem. And so I think that the conversations around governance and around trust registries and and things like that are, you know, I guess my perspective, you know, at, at IIW in the past, a session that I called a few years ago was the trust triangle is incomplete, you know, and, and the conversation was around like, actually, it's, it's, it's just not a complete model. We need a fourth party and we need it to be a first class citizen, not, a, not an afterthought. And I think like you could argue that the VC data model adds a fourth role, which is the uh, verifiable data registry, and that governance can play a role or, or conceptually you could you could kind of group those things together. I think in the past, a lot of people have just thought of that as a blockchain. And since then, we've we've learned that just throwing a blockchain there is not enough. So yeah, I guess I guess my, my first perspective is that the conversations around governance and trust and things like that are really just an extension of the conversations that people were having around the trust triangle, right? It's just it's just rounding it out and completing it, in in my view. But I think my second perspective here is that that I think that people have sort of been realizing that the blocker or the the big challenge, the big thing to solve, is not those roles in the trust triangle, right? Or or trust a diamond or whatever you want to call it. The the big challenge and an unsolved problem is not technology. So that's that's where I think a lot of people are, you know, there's a lot of conversation uh, around things like governance, like you mentioned, but also business models, use cases, products, and the like. You've done a bit of thinking, and it was published in a blog post, just again, along the topic of the opportunities in SSI and adoption in SSI. And you, you kind of distinguished different types of personas or different types of organizations or stakeholders within an ecosystem, just trying to see where will adoption happen more rapidly than, than other areas. And so you could think about uh, governments being in there, you could think about uh, technology companies, you could think about enterprises. It would be interesting to hear kind of how you came up with this analysis and how you were able to split up these different parties in a quadrant kind of model, and then what were some of the uh, the learnings that, that you took from that? Just to recap, the the quadrants is sort of a two by two matrix where in one dimension you have organizations versus consumers, and on the other axis you have top down versus bottoms up. When I've done, I don't know, when I've tried to analyze how past technologies have been adopted and and what can we learn from those things as it relates to SSI. This is just sort of, I guess, a way that I was able to kind of group some of these uh, adoption cycles together. I'm trying to remember how I necessarily landed on this in particular, but I guess the, the the concept is that some technologies like Bitcoin, you know, are really driven by people and are driven kind of bottoms up. So they spread virally through communities and people and it's really people that that turn this into a reality. And then it's up to the sort of businesses to later then decide to accept Bitcoin, for example. But but businesses were not the initial driver of Bitcoin. On the other hand, we see things like the Visa network maybe is an example where, where you could make an argument that that was really organizations driving that. It was Bank of America issuing credit and Bank of America recruited a whole bunch of verifiers, essentially, or, or merchants to accept that credit. And they just issued a whole bunch of credit cards to a whole bunch of people to seed the market. And it was really, you know, and the, and the value proposition was like, hey, you can go to any of these merchants and, and just get, you can just buy stuff with this card. And so it was really driven by Bank of America wanting to extend their existing business of lending money 
into you know this new medium of credit cards and, and of course that that was the start of what we now know as visa and so yeah you could think about technology being adopted in terms of yeah again top down from you know organizations and things like that or or, or bottoms up and i think the thing that i hear most well there, there's sort of two quadrants there that i hear a lot about the first one is people looking to get ssi adopted via people and communities and sort of driven by people and driven in a bottoms up fashion. And that worked for Bitcoin. It is a lot of the driving force behind DAOs and NFTs. And so of course, a lot of the kind of people who have a proclivity toward decentralization maybe are more likely to adopt something like SSI. And, and therefore we see sort of activity in the web three space or in other communities to adopt SSI. Uh, that's one approach that I've seen. And I think that that model is, you know, I'd love to see that happen. I would be an early adopter. I think the challenge with that model is that trust in the real world, like the way that trust works, like if I walk into a bank, it doesn't really matter if I have 25 people vouch for me. You know, what, what matters is that I have a piece of plastic given to me by the government so that I can open a bank account, right? If, if I, you know, same, same thing when I want to get a job, right? It doesn't really matter if... 25 classmates of mine uh, who I went to college with vouched for me that I was a good student. Like what, what matters is that I show them my transcript or diploma or something and I prove that I have this certification. And so I think that just the utility is, you know, creating trust, establishing trust usually comes from some trusted third party. That's how most of the real world things work. So I think there are interesting use cases that I've seen in this sort of community user driven approach. And, and I'm excited to see if, if someone can crack the code there, but I think it does have some challenges. The other quadrant that I see a lot of activity in or, or discussion about in the SSI space is the organization-driven top-down quadrant. That is the quadrant that you know talks about governments adopting. It talks about big enterprises adopting. And it's like, wow, if we could just get one enterprise to adopt to this and then roll it out to 5 million users, then that would seed the market and, you know, wouldn't that be so great? And that's clearly the, the best way to get adoption here, right? And, and that's, that's or, or so the story goes. And so we've seen a lot of people in the ecosystem targeting these, um, I think Timothy Ruff in the past has called it uh, queen bees. Uh, so it's like this queen bee strategy where you can get one big player and then and then build an ecosystem around that um, that player. And again, I think, Similarly, I think it is a clearly has merits. Clearly, many technologies have been adopted this way. But I think when it comes to SSI, it's just slow. That's just the short answer, right? It's just like I, you know, I started my career in the SSI space at Sovereign Foundation five years ago. And I remember when in my interview, when I was, you know, before I even started there, I was hearing about how credit unions were going to get, you know, we're going to roll this out to millions and millions of users. And anyway, I, I, I got sold these big visions of like all these queen bees that were coming on board and, and going to begin using SSI. I think the challenge though, is that things just move a lot more slowly than people expect, right? Banks are not exactly known for their speed and rightfully so, right? They, they're protecting people's money and, and they're custodians of, of people's savings and and, and all of that. And so I think that that model will be an important driver of SSI adoption. But my argument in the blog post and, and the one I'll make here is that I don't want to wait around for that. And 
I I think that there's another quadrant that's maybe a little bit more exciting in the near term, and and that that we at Trinsic are seeing more adoption sort of um, coming from, and um, and that quadrant is the quadrant that is organization driven but bottoms up. And what I mean by that is that I mean short 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 version of that is like startups, right? Startups are an organization; they're a team of people. And they are creating some new product and trying to get it adopted from scratch, as opposed to just digitizing an existing process and rolling it out automatically to millions of people. And and that's why I call it bottoms up. But um, and and whether it is an actual you know startup per se, or whether it is a small sort of innovation team at a at a big company, that that matters less. The point is that it's um, sort of building a new product. It's been interesting to see adoption of certain technologies like. Let's just say certain productivity technologies like Slack being being an example where they were able to create an ecosystem of users kind of bottom up and eventually it kind of moves as more and more because everyone working for an organization is a consumer anyways. So start starting bottom up and then eventually you get to kind of the more enterprise use cases or enterprise deployments. The other interesting topic is just <laughs> there's existing governance kind of on that top down layer. If, if you're referring to governments or enterprises, like the, the visa governance is, is a good use case for this, where it's just it's existing trust today that just works and, and is top down versus if you want to start bottom up, you could get talking about reputation or perhaps working with a third party that's going to be driving governance. So that that is interesting as well, just to see how, how that kind of happens. But so then the, are, is the way you're looking at it is if you're selling to that quadrant, which they're basically, they're early adopters, they're like us, they're building, they're either building for enterprise or they're building for bottom up web three, whatever you want to call it. But it's, is, it, is it just about equipping kind of what, what makes them push adoption quicker than just going directly to an end enterprise customer or just to a, a DAO that's just trying to build a new system from the bottom up? So this question is, um, I'm glad you asked it. I think the short answer to this question is incentives. It's it's like, you know, if, if a startup is setting out to solve a problem, regardless of what that is, it is like existential to that startup that they build a product that actually solves that problem, right? I mean, and uh, like, like you say, right? Like, like suppose for a moment that Visa is looking into this. Worst case scenario, it doesn't work or it does it's not optimal or it doesn't work 10 times better than what they currently have that's kind of probably fine because they already have something that works and a lot of these governments you know it's like of course they want to make citizen experience better but like they kind of already have something that exists right now and and works reasonably well i mean of course it could be improved in many ways but there's i don't know i i, I went to the dmv and got my driver's license, you know, and it, it was kind of painful, but like it worked. But with these sort of organization driven bottoms up kind of net new problems to be solved using SSI, if they don't solve the problem, they cease to exist, you know, their 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 company doesn't work and they go out of business or whatever. So, I mean, it, it is just from what I've seen, it's just really, really important to these companies that they get it right and that they solve it. And so there's just a different level of drive ambition, motivation, incentive, whatever you want to call it for them to succeed and, and, and to get customers, right? And to get revenue in the door and, and all of that. And so I think that is what, that's the short answer. 
I was about to move into incentives talking about not necessarily these bottom-up companies building identity technology products, but more incentives from an enterprise perspective. One of the biggest benefits altogether that these standards, these technologies, call it SSI brings, is just the power of owning the relationships and being able to have portable relationships and to, to bring it with you. It's not good enough if you are locked into a platform like Facebook or stuff like that, that you ask them to, to delete your data, you, you lose all the relationships you have on there and you, you can't you can't keep those. And relationships are about trust. These things grow over time. So being stuck within a single environment kind of limits value to, to the end consumer. And for enterprises, they see their relationships with their customers and employees as their key assets, right? And they're fiercely protective of them. And so, you know, changing your mindset on this is a fundamental change in a mindset of basically not having a walled garden and control over your relationship. So that's where I often see a struggle with, with enterprises just to think from that perspective and sometimes thinking like well, they, they don't have any incentive or they don't see the, the reason why they should be issuing credentials to their customers or to their employers and uh, to their employees yes. and such to use within an ecosystem. We all agree that it's going to it's going to create value for the ecosystem, but that incentive is just not it's inexistent today. So I, I, I might sound like a broken record a little bit on this podcast with some of these answers. So forgive me if I do. Um, and you can you can you can poke and prod on 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 these if if you feel like it's it's needed. But the 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 answer that I'll or the the kind of response that I have to that is that I think the incentive seems like it's not there because the problem is not being framed in a way that that they resonate with what what i mean by that is that if you're trying I, I it sounds like if you're talking to an issuer for example and they don't see why they should be issuing credentials they don't see why they should you know the the unlock their uh data for users or or um l let their hand off of the sort of leash or, or or whatever of their consumer relationships or whatever. I think that it's because those are not the right things to be selling to these enterprises. I think you got to solve a problem for them that they feel and and that's when they will buy something to solve that problem. This is all to say that I, I think the key is building a product that solves a real problem for these companies. And if 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 yeah, and if the problem's not there, then of course there's no incentive to adopt. I have seen though problems that companies face that I, I don't want to say that SSI can solve. And, and we can maybe talk about terminology a little bit later. Uh, SSI is a concept, right? It's a, it's an ideal, it's an ambition. It's a, it's a, you know, it's an end state that we hope to get to, but, but what is not a concept, what is not an end state or an ideal is a product, right? A company can buy a product. They can't really buy self-sovereign identity per se. I mean, and the product that they are sold needs to solve a real problem for them. And, and, and the only, like the incentive that a company has, in my view, to adopt an SSI powered product is the same incentive that they have to buy any other product that they use, whether they use, I don't know, they're using Dropbox to store their files. Why are they doing that? It's because they have a problem related to collaborating on stored documents and files, and they bought a problem to solve that problem for them. If an issuer, if you want an issuer to start issuing verifiable credentials, you've got to find some pain point in their current processes, some cost center, 
some time that they're wasting something, then you've got to build a product to solve that problem for them in a, you know, in a way that is evident that it actually solves the problem. And then you sell them the product. You don't sell them the technology. You know what I mean? Trying to sell them the technology is just talking past them. Like in, in my view, in an ideal world, what I've seen be successful is when companies sell a product to a company and the only time they're talking about self-sovereign identity and you know verifiable credentials and 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 cryptography and and decentralized identifiers and stuff is in the sort of IT diligence rubber stamp that they need to get to get it into production but hopefully the the like vast majority of the conversation is surrounding like solving a real problem for the company and and sometimes you know the, these like hey it's built using uh decentralized identity so you get some like zero trust capabilities you get interoperability out of the box like there 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 are maybe some benefits that you could sort of allude to but i have not seen those those things be the key driver or key incentivizer of companies adopting ssi which kind of leads you to think that the trust triangle or trust diamond is just deceptive to think that this this is kind of the model that that's going to lead to any real adoption and then like yes you use dropbox or uh, use slack earlier you're not buying some internet product you're buying like a, a functional product that solves solves a problem i'm not buying internet just like i i like that comparison you're not buying self-sovereign identity i feel sometimes too like i guess there's different uh paths towards using these technologies underneath a product that 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 will lead to adoption and these paths or these products maybe we'll just start talking about the products are going to be a little bit different perhaps for organizations that are moving from call it web one or physical world to to a digital world it could be a, a different products for companies moving from kind of a web two internet world to this and perhaps different for ones that are just starting bottom up native like that but I, I feel like often and we'll get to terminology in a couple of minutes because i think that's an important conversation but I, I feel like we often just try to draw comparisons to real world products that exist and just try to frame it in a digital space and so we see a lot of just like wallets being used in demonstrations honestly every credential issuance verification system looks <laughs> looks the same thing it's just like a, a very yeah. simple a very simple web-based application that doesn't look like an end product. It just looks like it allows you to do certain technical functions. But so, so to your comment of like, we need to be talking more products and less about these ideals. I would like to see less wallets because I feel like selling wallets and talking about how these digital wallets help you do what you're doing in the physical world in a, a digital world. I don't think it really helps the story. It still doesn't solve a business problem for someone just to, I have a wallet. First of all, it's not the same thing as uh, like a physical world wallet. And we could talk about that, why that's not a good comparison, but if you're selling wallets and you're selling issuance platforms and stuff like that. It doesn't fit into the whole premise that you need to be selling products. You're not selling, you're not selling SSI. You're not selling internet and products. And I feel like selling wallets, selling credential management platforms kind of fits inside the same, uh, the same bucket. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And I, I really like that perspective. I'd love, I mean, we can do this later as well, but I would love to hear, you know, you unpack that position about how digital wallets maybe are not, uh, you know, comparing them to physical wallets maybe isn't very productive or or accurate. Well, I, yeah, I'd love to hear you unpack that. 
I think there's room for a digital version of the physical wallet. And that is a product on its own. But you you don't need to have 100 wallets. Like I don't have 100 physical wallets. I'm going to be using the capabilities of these things digitally across different applications. And we could get into, am I going to be using agent technology versus wallets and wh where they're going to be type of thing. But I, I think there's differences in how you own and how you control your physical wallets versus digitally. But I think like an Apple wallet or a Google wallet, whatever they call their product, is a product. And it, it works as intended, right? Whereas all these wallets that are out there today, they're not solving that same problem or you don't need multiple of these things. You could have different versions of it. It's gonna be a long tail distribution of these products, but I think wallet is just not the right framing for what it's doing within other products. Like it's not the product on its own other than yeah. there's gonna be a few of them. Yeah, so it sounds like what, what I'm hearing you say is that you know we've got like Apple and Google wallet products and those are productized and adopted and everything. But you're sort of alluding to this like proliferation of other SSI wallets or whatever that there there are so many of them now that that it wouldn't make sense for people to have like one wallet for for their like education credentials and a different wallet for their health credentials and a different wallet for their whatever and 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 end up with lots and lots of wallets. Is that kind of where you're going? It's just they're not good products. It, mm. It's not it's, it's not a good product. Like my physical wallet, my one physical wallet is a good product because it allows me to store money and identity cards and stuff like that. We could argue whether or not like you should go with an Apple, Google, or uh, other solutions. That's just a whole other discussion. But my, the point I'm I guess trying to get across is you're you're not selling internet when you're selling. Dropbox, you shouldn't be selling self-sovereign identity when you're selling an end product that uses that. Selling a wallet is kind of the same thing. It, it, it fits into, it should not be the, the end product unless we're just talking about those, those wallets. Yeah, yeah, I like that perspective. I think in my experience at Trinsic, you know, we started as a wallet company. In fact, our first product was the Trinsic wallet, or at the time it was called Street Cred Wallet. So that's where we started. And so I have, you know, I've been through a lot of cycles of thinking about, you know, thinking about this and where we've ended up is that, you know, we still have our Trinsic wallet and the app store. It is mostly used as a demo tool or a, yeah, a demonstration product basically, or a developer utility. But our product that we sell now is we, you know, we call it a wallet SDK. We, you know, maybe there's a better term for it, but really it is the ability to embed those capabilities into existing products and flows in a way that sometimes is completely hidden from the user. Like the user doesn't necessarily need to know all that's going on under the hood. Like ideally they should know what the guarantees are. They should know that their data is not gonna be, you know, sold, uh, their, you know, their, that their data is secure, right? Obviously there's some high level things, but but in terms of like the specific standards or or interacting directly with the verifiable credentials themselves, in some products, that's just not a good user experience. And particularly, and, and here's where my, my take might get a little spicier, particularly asking users to download an additional wallet, you know, a third party product so that they, like, like if you, if like at some enterprise is never going to redirect their users to go download some, you know, forgive me, but no name startups, you know, wallet from the app store, have them scan like six QR codes and wait 25 seconds to like, 
before they can get their credentials so that they can like go scan more QR codes to like create connections so that they can like get verified. And then they can like, you know, that, that, that whole experience that exists in so many of the demos that we see is again, forgive the hot take here, but that's never going to get adopted in my mind. Like that's not going to work. And we've, we, this is where we came from, right? This is, this is like the product that we built at Trinsic and, and that, that we have a lot of experience uh, seeing how people, you know, seeing the reception and it's just not up to the level of product experience that people expect. And and nor is it to the level that like enterprises are going to want to see enterprises want, want to adopt things that will improve conversion rates and make user experience easier, not harder. And so you get this challenge where of course, once someone already has an SSI wallet with all those connections and credentials and whatever else in it, the user experience can be good thereafter. But that initial onboarding step is a huge barrier. And it's, it's I think, part of why we haven't seen a lot of, um, why we haven't seen nearly as much adoption as we could have. So, so today at Trinsic, what, what we offer is a wallet SDK that, again, can be embedded into existing um, products and solutions. Um, it can be, you can, you can display it to the user like, uh, uh, you know, what you would think of as an identity wallet, or you could hide a lot of that functionality from the user. Obviously, you know, this, we can get into sort of some of the um, idealism versus practicality arguments here, because there are trade-offs that you make in, in an approach like that. But that, that I mean, again, if, if we could build the most elegant technology in the entire world, but if it doesn't get adopted, you know, then, then I, I, I would worry about, you know, sort of maybe, maybe isn't the best use of my time. If, if I'm going to build like super elegant technology that ends up not actually impacting, you know, people's lives very much. And so uh, our North Star is thinking about the kinds of products that will get adopted. And, and that's, you know, what, what we've seen work so far. So um, yeah, happy to unpack that. But, but I, I, I really agree with you um, on, on the wallet piece. Yeah, and and you know what we and we as a Northern Block as a company have our own wallet products as well, and it's it's not something we, I guess I, I won't categorize it as a product today. It could become a product. It could help people use it to to build their own products, similarly to to you all. But yeah, I, I think elements like governance I mentioned earlier in the conversation. These conversations are good and need to happen because there needs to just be that structure if if you're going to create certain trust tasks but at the end of the day the biggest from i guess if i was to summarize um from both of our points the the biggest thing in the way of adoption is just good user experience and good products and seeing demos over and over again of credential exchanges and these things happening these are not products at this stage that end users are going to interact with yeah i mean that said i i have seen products, good products be built using verifiable credentials and, you know, products that have gotten adoption. And the, the, the sort of key takeaway there is that like probably the single biggest predictor, you know, and, and as, as terms of, you know, we see we're a developer tool for implementing the stuff we're talking about here. Right. So we see a wide breadth, you know, we see uh, hundreds of attempts. We don't go very deep into each one because there's just, we're, we're a developer tool, right? And so we don't have a lot of, we're not super hands-on with each customer, but we see a lot of attempts. And one of the key really, like probably the single biggest predictor of success of any of those attempts is the level of product execution that they bring to the table, which includes, again, user experience, but it also includes business model. It includes the the, the subset of a market that you're tackling, the problem that you're solving, right? These are all product related problems. And, and I would say that that is the single biggest predictor of, of success for uh, an SSI approach.
People sometimes underestimate the power of good branding and good positioning. I think one of the challenges with any new technology is there's no shared vocabulary. And so having a shared vocabulary is an easy way to communicate something. Like if we both know what a newspaper is, for example, it's it, pretty pretty straightforward. There's a great deal of context that we both have and shared knowledge we have about, about what that is. Certain technology companies have done good jobs at that as well. If you look at like Facebook as a product and they've really named their features in their product according to what they do, like newsfeed is pretty straightforward to know what, what it does for you. That's one thing I feel like companies like that have done quite well, or Facebook in particular in, in this uh, scenario. How important is setting the right language for, for what we're doing here? We talk about the centralized ID, we talk about SSI, we talk about Web5, we talk about ID tech, which maybe you could explain a little bit more, but um, how important is this definition to adoption and understanding of what this all is? I think that the single most important thing as it relates to terminology is to use the right terms for the right things with the right audience. So I think it's less about the term itself, although that matters too, but I think it's more about like, again, the audience you're talking to. If you start talking about Web5 to the everyday consumer, that's probably not an approach, a, a winning approach, right? So anyway, that's the first kind of comment I'll make. The, the other thing I'll say is that I used to use the term self-sovereign identity or SSI to refer to basically everything <laughs> that, that I could, right? It was like self-sovereign identity meant the technology. It meant verifiable credentials and decentralized identifiers and blockchain and wallets and everything else. Self-sovereign identity referred to the product experiences. It referred to the conceptual kind of like requirements of like, well, is this self-sovereign enough or is it not or like whatever. And it, so it, it referred to so many things for me that I found that it was just such a diluted word. And especially, and I would use it with like every audience and some audiences, particularly ones that were already had a, already had a proclivity toward decentralization, were really excited about the term self-sovereign identity. Maybe in their minds, they were thinking about self-sovereign money and they were, they're already self-custodianing or self-custodying Bitcoin or something like that. And so they, they, you know, their, their mind automatically, you know, appreciates this term, but other others like people in government or people in uh, just, just everyday people maybe, maybe had a different uh, reception. And so again, what I think is, is just um, using the right term for the right things. The term ID tech is a term that we've started using to refer to a specific piece of this puzzle, and that is the the product layer, right? It's sort of in the past, people would say the application layer of SSI, which to me is like, it means something to us people who think about technology in terms of layers. But if I go to somebody and say like, you know, the, the application layer of the internet, like most non-technical people will be like, a layer. What? What are you? Like, what, what? What are you talking about here? Right? And so, yeah. I mean, we we needed a better word to talk about products that are built and powered by this new identity technology. And as we were trying to figure out what that term might be, we started using ID tech internally as sort of a play on like fintech, medtech, agtech, edtech, right? All these sort of existing terms like that. And started using it more and the more we used it, the more more we um, more it was catching on internally. And we started using it with customers and 
they started using it. And, and so anyway, now we've started using it more publicly. And, and I think that it, it solves a, a bit of a, a niche problem in terms of terminology, right? In, in, in describing the product, the product bit of, of the stack. Sounds like a better framing on what the category could possibly be. Like if you say ID tech, it sounds like anyone could pretty much just guess that it's technology to do with identity, at least as a starter that like <laughs> it puts you, yeah. it puts you inside a frame and then, then you could start going deeper. But as a category, I think it's quite interesting. And I'm wondering if, if you're thinking about trademarking it. <laughs> I'm definitely not, not trying to trademark it. I, I, you know, it is not, it's not a, it's not the the intent is for it to not be a intrinsic word. The intent is for it to be again used more broadly. So I, I would not want to trademark it. I was just playing off of the Web five stuff that happened yeah. recently. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's uh yeah yeah that was a uh, that was quite something. So yeah. How do you feel about that? And maybe you could explain kind of what happened for for listeners there, and then uh, if. If we agree that uh, ID tech is good for a category, do you see, you could explain what happened with Web5, what it is, but do you see Web5 as being a good representation of something? Historically, decentralized identity has always been the sort of neglected cousin of Web3. You know, it's like, it's like kind of some people thought it was like part of Web3, but it was really again, sort of neglected or ignored by most of the community there. The Web3 community has its own challenges, obviously, and it has sort of elements that people want to disassociate themselves from. And so Block, formerly known as Square, when they sort of made their announcement of their investment in self-sovereign identity, they called it Web5 as a way to sort of, I think first as like a joke, because the joke was like, man, like who are these people to just like pick their favorite technology and just declare it as the next generation of the web? Like the internet of things could, you know, arguably it was like a next generation internet or something, or, or I don't know. There, there, there are lots of technologies that, that, that are really cool and augmented the internet as we knew it, but none of them just declared them self-declared themselves as like the thing. And so I think part of it was like a joke or a meme to sort of poke fun at like, how the 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 sort of blockchain community maybe asserted something that 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 block wasn't a fan of. So that that's the history of it. I think then people started using the Web five term to run things like scams or or whatever. And so the block decided we don't want people using our term to scam people. That's sort of the whole reason we wanted to like invent this term. Is like Web three has a lot of scams in it, and we wanted to disassociate ourselves from that. And so they decided to trademark the term. Web five. They announced the trade that they were doing that, and then you know there was some some pushback on Twitter from myself and and from others, and we had a dialogue with essentially the senior leadership there uh, over that project at at Block, and then a few hours later they decided to reverse that decision to trademark the term at at least reverse the the sort of I mean I think they're going to go back and like reevaluate. I, I, they still may trademark it at some point, but uh, but at least they are they're holding off for now. You know I was hopeful that the term web five could be used for SSI in a similar way that web three is used in the blockchain ecosystem. When you think if when somebody says they've built a product, uh, a web three product or a product using web 3.0 or something like that, what do you think of? You instantly think of blockchain, maybe NFTs, maybe tokens, maybe DAOs, maybe, you know, whatever, but you, but you think of this ecosystem of 
sort of yeah you you think you you think of some technologies really is what you think of maybe you think of a of a paradigm uh, or, or a way of or an architecture for building applications i think like web5 could be a pretty cool way to represent that for ssi or in other words i've started using web5 and and when i use the term web5 what i mean is essentially it's 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 i use it as shorthand for verifiable credentials decentralized identifiers personal data stores like wallets or decentralized web nodes interaction protocols like didcom or some of the new OIDC protocols or, or whatever, right? But, but like when I say Web5, I'm, I'm like talking about that set of technologies and or a paradigm for building products where consumers can have authentic control or, or yeah, con- control over authentic data and relationships or whatever um, about them. And I think it could be a cool term. I, I, who knows if it'll get adopted? I think um, the reason I like it is because it is totally meaningless. And it's like... And and so therefore we can like create whatever meaning we want for it. Um, that's also of course a downside because you know if it's meaningless, then it takes some explanation and it takes some yeah. So so anyway, we'll 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 see where it goes. But um but yeah, that's the that's the story. I I, I was not a fan of the idea of block trademarking it because I want to use it as you know for for my product and I wouldn't want some commercial entity to say oh that's not actually Web five enough for us. So so you know like like carry for example. If you're using carry, well, that's not actually Web five because you need to use Ion Dids or something like that, or or, or whatever, right? And 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 I'm not saying that Block would do that, but I'm saying that the idea that some commercial entity could do that would, in my opinion, kill the term for use by the community in 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 uh, in that way. So um, so yeah, we'll see. I I could see why some organizations get scared with hearing words like sovereignty and self sovereign identity kind of went through the same path being in the before it was called web free being being in the crypto space like talking about crypto you didn't want to do so you started talking about blockchains and then blockchain became a bad word and because it was kind of scary so you started talking about ledgers but I, I think with self-sovereign identity like at the end of the day like whether you're a nation state whether you're an organization whether you're an individual these things give you a path to more sovereignty in, in, in your context, right? I think that's the whole ethos of the crypto or Web3 space. I like, I'm getting to like Web3 more and more um, just because it is broader. Like you said, if you talk about crypto or something, you can maybe just get into a specific yeah. application. But Web3, you mentioned DAOs and you could talk about smart contracts. You could talk about distributed storage. And one of the elements there that was... Well, the reason why all this stuff came about was to give the opportunity for individuals to have more sovereignty over their financial lives. Like that, that's the, the the start of this, right? To have sovereignty over your finances so that you're not completely dependent on a system that perhaps could break for, for whatever reason. And I think the missing piece to all of that, there was a, a, a missing authenticity, missing verifiability. There were certain things that was a component that was missing. And that's why I personally and our, our company got into self-sovereign identity. But I I think even though self-sovereign identity, and I, I like the use of ID tech for a category, I think it's very good. I do like the use of self-sovereign identity for certain other things, but I think um, sovereignty should not be a scary thing, whether you're a government, an organization, an individual, because having sovereignty in your context is is powerful and is only going to benefit you. So it, it shouldn't necessarily be scary to think that, you know, 
well, if people have sovereignty, I won't be able to govern and have oversight over what's happening. That That's just not true. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think if there's one takeaway that I could sort of, if I wanted listeners to get one thing from my perspective here, it is that like, you know, totally agree. But that said, first of all, I don't think the problem most businesses are looking to solve is they want to make users more sovereign, right? That's just not on their list of OKRs and corporate goals. And so, and, and second, the only way for people to get more sovereignty is for, uh, I'll, I'll be broad here, adoption of SSI to occur, right? If, if I have a, a wallet that gives me control of my data, but I have nowhere to use it because it's not accepted anywhere, then you know, what's the point? Is, is that really sovereign? Well, maybe, but like, if it's not very useful, I'm probably not going to use it. And so the, the, the sort of takeaway that I would convey is that the key to solving this problem and the key to adoption, the key to getting to a world where users are self-sovereign is building good products, solve problems for businesses so that they can adopt SSI so that users can onboard and, and, and use use these wallets or data stores or whatever to get access to the things they need more easily. We got to build products that solve problems for both users and, and businesses. And, and in order to do that, sometimes we have to meet, meet them where they are and, and grow with them. I think self-sovereign identity, again, is, is an ideal. Um, I don't know if we can jump all the way there from you know current state all the way to end state where we want to be. Um, we may need to meet users where they are and, and just build good products for them to solve their problems in a way that is uh, compatible with self-sovereignty moving forward. Thanks for tuning in today. Hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. To stay up to speed with future episodes or to catch up on ones you may have missed, make sure to check out the SSI Orbit podcast on your favorite podcast platform and make sure you subscribe. If you have any questions, comments, or wish to see someone in particular on a future episode, you can find me by searching Metzger Glode on LinkedIn or Twitter. Feel free to reach out to me directly and I'll get back to you. See you all next time.